Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist podcast. And today we're going to talk about church mergers. Jesus once said, if they do, the new wineskins will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be destroyed. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Luke 5, 37 through 38. So joining me today with my host to discuss this topic of can we put new wine in old wineskins or old wine and new wine skins or something in between there is three co-hosts today. Matthew Jacobs is with me. Good. I guess it's morning when we release these. Good morning, right? Afternoon while we're recording it though. Jaron Street is here and then back again, guest Dr. Chris Shumate. We went to Southeastern together and I asked him to be on here because he was a part of a church merger that, well, didn't merge. Will you tell us about that, Chris? Yeah, several years ago when I was on staff at a church in another state, we were uh, in the middle of, I guess you could say we were in the middle of a campaign for a building project, but there was some hesitancy there, some uncertainty about whether or not we really wanted to just undertake that sort of project and put ourselves under that sort of financial burden. Um, So we were kind of praying about whether or not that was really what we wanted to do, even though we did need space. And in the middle of that time period, um, our lead pastor got a call from a friend who was on staff at another local church. And uh, this person basically said, we've, we've got more building than we need. Uh, It's a, a nice new large facility, but we don't need it all. Um, They had been struggling a bit for the last few years. They were without a pastor at the time. And so they were just sort of at a crossroads, not knowing what was going to happen to the church and um, kind of what the future held. And so they basically said, y'all need a building. Uh, We need some direction for the future let's talk about whether or not we can kill two birds with one stone and, and all come together as one church. So that's kind of how it got started. Makes sense, right? It all makes sense. On paper. <laughs> and then, and then what happened? Well, I don't, I don't even remember how long of a process it was, but we spent many months um, looking at, looking at the situation from every angle we could having meetings, um, you know, with individuals in leadership and each church had a, a team, I guess you could say a, a representative team of their congregation that would come together and discuss various aspects of what the potential merger would look like. Um, on our end, since our, you know, immediate need was space in terms of the facility, a lot of what, uh, myself and another staff member at our church, a lot of what we were tasked with doing was um, just a lot of measuring and 
you know, just counting spaces and seats and things like that to determine if it really would meet the need, not only for our current congregation, but then, you know, what we would be um, adding to the number by coming together with another congregation as well. So we did a lot of that logistical legwork, had uh, one joint service, and that kind of brought to light some of the issues. So uh, it didn't end up happening. Um, and I think it was, um, I think it was just two different cultures. Um, it was too much for some people, I think on on the other side from, from the other church, I think it was too much for them to handle, uh, thinking that, you know, this other group might come in and take over our space and change things and start, you know, singing different kind of music and, preaching different kind of message and, you know, just we, we've liked our church the way it is for all this time and we don't want to see that change. And, and it was, um, it was a very nice facility, but it was also one that uh, had a lot of those little plaques all over the place that say, (laughs) you know, in memory of so-and-so and and things like that. And, and so even that, that sort of little thing caused, caused some friction and eventually they just decided that they, they couldn't, they couldn't take those steps. Hmm. Do you feel like that expectations were managed well in the beginning of that scenario? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think we tried as much as we could to be very honest and open about kind of where we were at and what our needs were and why we would even consider something like that. Again, they brought it to us. It's not anything that we really pursued in in and of ourselves, but, when they brought the idea to us, I think um, we just kind of said, well, look, here's where we're at. Here's, here's what our needs are. Um, Let's think about whether or not this would really be a good fit. And so trying to just be as transparent as possible about what we would be bringing into that equation. Um, But they were in a difficult situation without pastoral leadership at the time. Mm -hmm. And y'all know how difficult that is for a church anyway, much less trying to consider something that major. So, you know, communication was tricky (laughs) in terms of working with their lay leaders and things like that. And um, I really do think it was just too, too much of a jump at that point. And uh, I've, I've often thought about, you know, what could have been, I think in a way, I think it really could have been a real blessing for the community. Um, to see those two churches come together. We weren't far away, you know, maybe a, maybe a five minute drive from one church to the other. And uh, I think it really could have been a testimony of, you know, the unity in the church and being able to do more together than we can separately. You know, I think that could have led to some really good things, but didn't happen. That's sad. (laughs) It, It was, it was, frustrating I guess you walk through that whole process and put so much time and effort into something and then it just kind of falls apart but were a lot of the members of your church upset that it didn't work out or how did the how did the church do after that after the after the decision did not do it I think I think we were all okay with it I mean we we were you know I I I think frustrated that we felt we'd kind of spun our wheels for a while but kind of got left at the altar didn't you what's that you got left at the altar yeah. or rather they got left the altar and you all just left. So, but given the nature of 
why they decided to step away from the process, I think we all saw that was probably best. I think it would have led to a lot of additional challenges if we had gone through with it. So uh, our church ended up going through with the building program. And uh, so, so got a lot more space and a lot more debt <laughs> too. And uh, that church, as far as I know, uh, that church does not exist anymore uh, as an entity. Another, another local church did take that facility over a few years ago. Wow. You know, uh, I've said this before, and I think uh, preaching to you guys in our uh, revitalization cohort, but my aunt was addicted to Marlboro cigarettes, loved them, smoked them ever since she was a kid, and died at the age of, um, I think, in her late 50s there. Um, and their last week, she told me she had quit, and I asked her why. She said, I just don't have the strength to roll outside and light one up. And I said, you know, I'll help you at this point because, you know, it doesn't matter. The Titanic's going down. You know, it was a week before she died. It wasn't going to reverse. And unfortunately, sometimes churches are addicted to control and tradition. Like my aunt was addicted to nicotine and, and Marlboro cigarettes. All right. So Chris has been up to bat about and an unfortunate set of events. We might need to call this the Lemony Snicket's episode, a series of unfortunate events, because I have another one as well. Uh, Matthew Jacobs, or excuse me, Matthew, Matthew Jacobs and I did a podcast on church splits. And part of the reason we had to split at the church I was in was an effort to bring a former split of the church I was pastoring back together. And the effort was to take the church that had split off of us because then they had really split off for biblical reasons. And I won't go into all the details and what we wanted to do. It was called a merger, but we didn't like that word. I'm, I'm still not overly happy with that word because merger is a very corporate word. We wanted to basically shut both churches down and shut down their name and everything like that and start a new work together. So come back together as just one new entity, not the church I was pastoring, not the church that, that had split off, but as a new deal. And um, <clears throat> it went for, I want to say five or six months, communicating, meetings, talking, their elders came over, you know, our leadership went over there, switched pulpits. I preached in their pulpit. He preached in our pulpit. And um, there was a couple that just hated it, hated the idea, spread dissension throughout the church and got to a boiling point. And I remember we kind of tested and said, does everybody have enough information that has prayed sufficiently enough to make a decision on this matter of, you know, basically the church um, closing and reopening is a new work. And I remember one lady called me, she said, pastor, all I want, all I want is for to live out my days and to have my funeral in the sanctuary that I help pay for. She told me that on the phone. She said, I'm firmly against this new work. I said, okay. And the, and the vast majority of the church was ready to make a decision. And we talked about that in the previous episode. It was 50-50 split, and, and that was it. It was over. The fallout of that was um, the leaders that were in favor of the new work ended up going to the other church that had split off previously, which included myself and many of the leaders of the church. And we went on, just as that, that church. Um, but... Um, 
there's a great help here, a book that was written, came across this when I was doing my DMIN work in church revitalization, and it's called Better Together. It's by uh, Jim Tomberlin and Warren Bird, and it's Making Church Mergers Work. I'm going to put the uh, notes for this book in the, the show notes. We'll have the reference to this. And the book's a couple years old, so some of the items in here are, you know, maybe a little dated. And there's a couple of the theologians in here that I'm not going to say I back everybody that's quoted in here. So I'm not a fan of everyone in the book. But I still found it as a fascinating read, especially at a time where we're seeing at least 80% of Southern Baptist churches are in decline, and that's probably a conservative number. And I think people are looking towards church mergers. So let me kind of give you these four categories, and then we're going to talk about it. And by the way, uh, Jacob Gwynn just hopped on here while we were doing story time there. So welcome, brother. All right. Four types of church mergers. First is a rebirth merger. The It is a struggling or a dying church that gets a second life by being restarted under a stronger, vibrant, and typically larger church. Second is adoption merger. That is a stable or stuck church that is integrated under the vision of a stronger, vibrant, and typically larger church. Marriage mergers are two churches, both strong or growing, that realign with each other under a unified vision and new leadership configuration. And then finally, ICU intensive care unit mergers, two churches that know they're in trouble and try to turn around their critical situation, but are more survival-driven and dot, 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 often fail. So let's talk about this. Let's, let's go in reverse, and then we'll get back to the first one. Let's talk about these ICU mergers, because I think a lot of people, particularly here in Appalachia, are looking around. We have a lot of churches that are small, and we're saying, why can't we take this small church and this small church and this small church and just make one church? What's the pro- is, what would be the, is there any problem with doing that? Would be like sitting there and deciding that you want to become healthy and going to somebody that's unhealthy to teach you how to do it. <laughs> like if I'm sitting there and I want to lose weight and I'm looking at two coaches to help me get healthy and in shape, am I going to pick the one that looks like me or the one that looks like what I want to become? I mean, and I think that's the way that the ICU method, if two unhealthy churches, they're unhealthy for a reason. They have made decisions that have brought them to this point. And so their decisions coming together, I mean, it sounds more like a disaster in the making simply because two groups that have made poor decisions over a period of time are deciding to make poor decisions together. <laughs> so you I'm got an alcoholic helping an alcoholic out of yeah, the yeah. problem. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Like it, it, Let's it, go get it, a drink and talk about it. Come on. It, it, it sounds like a TV show because I love trainer X and like, I would love to watch this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is like bachelor in paradise. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I, know, I, think, go ahead. I was going to just add to that to some degree. I, I know for, for some that are listening and, and have been involved with um, church revitalization and replanting, know the name John Mark Clifton and um, just various conferences that I've heard him talk about or even preach to and, uh, even having the opportunity to, to meet him a, a couple of years ago and talk with him, um, you know, he he will just hit this drum that uh, it, it is harder for the church merger than it is to have a, a replant itself. And it's because of some kind of what Matthew's talking about is that 
is you, you have two different cultures that are coming together and you, you have, you may have one church that's very healthy and another church that is not. And so when you're, you're coming together, there's going to be habits that each want to bring kind of mutually together. And, and why would you want to merge unhealthy habits with those that are healthy while still trying to give a voice and trying to recognize a sense of identity into it to a new body. And so, so it's, it is much harder. And I think it's even to, to Chris's story uh, of even telling his story about the, the mergers. It, it is difficult when you truly are trying to um, bring in, I, I, I have heard very few successful stories of good, healthy church mergers. And I think there's a reason for that. And I think even as Matthew was talking about just some of those sinful or, or unhealthy habits can almost weigh down or, or even restrict a good, healthy merger. Yeah. I, I can only think in my mind, I can think of two, two healthy mergers that actually happened. One of them took place in Marion, just right down the road from us. It was an older church, had the facilities, but was dying and decreasing. And it was a young church plant and they merged together. So that would have been like a method of, um, rebirth, I guess would kind of be that method. And they're called the summit church. It's a huge facility down in Marion. And then there was a case of the same thing happening. Um, a smaller church, uh, as far as size, not big facility, but small facility on the outskirts of, um, of Raleigh, kind of north, closer to Durham Chapel Hill area, Chapel Hill area when I was in seminary of a church plant joining with an older congregation emerging. But yeah, I, I think sadly the reality is mergers sound really great, but are really hard to pull off. Yeah. And in this ICU, the intensive care unit, you know, merger, you, I almost think about it like a marriage, right? So let's say you've got a widow who's in poor health and you've got a widower who's in poor health and you bring those two together, like who's really going to help who, you know what I mean? And depending on this, you know, if both the, the re this is why I think ICU fails most often is because the fixation is on survival. And when the fixation is survival, there's not vision, there's not energy, there's not leadership. And they might buy themselves a few more years, right? Maybe. Social security check might go up a little more, right? But ultimately the demise is coming, you know? It, it's coming. And this is one thing that, a, that a, a person once said to me is in Appalachia, there are a lot of churches that can survive on life support. Mm -hmm. so it does take a long time for a church to die. So you sit there and think if you merge two unhealthy dying churches together, that prolongs that life support. Mm -hmm. So they so, can be on it for a long time. Yeah. All right, let's move on to marriage mergers. These are two churches, both strong or growing, that realign with each other under a united vision and new leadership configuration. I think this has a much better chance of making it than I see you. And the reason is because you start here with two, two churches that are seem to be growing stronger or healthier. Of course, they're not giving clear definition to what's strong. And I think we all know growing probably what that implies. Uh, but in this, in this case and scenario here, you're probably talking about trying to do what we did uh, in another state. And basically you're shutting the two down 
and becoming one new entity. One's not being absorbed into the other one. And, and that's kind of what happens when people get married, right? You leave, you leave and cleave. You leave your father and mother and you cleave to your spouse. I know it's strange for some folks to think that way, right? All biblical and such. But that's the idea, leaving behind, you know, uh, those previous ones. And then the third one here, I think this is going to become the most popular merger in SBC future. And that is the adoption merger. The language is being used regularly by Rayner. Um, I think people are comfortable with that word adoption since it's part of the family and the body. But that's when a stable or stuck church is integrated under the vision of a stronger, vibrant, and typically larger church. And I think this probably will be a type of merger that churches will be more open to and have a better success rate than some of the others, personally. Um, so just to describe this, you know, you've got one church that is perhaps not been able to figure it out. They can't break the missional code in their area, and they're either going backwards or they're just stuck the way they are. A church that is doing better, has a better vision, they're going to get on board with that church's vision and with that church's leadership. What are the what are the barriers though for an adoption? You think? Yeah. So um, you know, my my wife, some of her her family um, in another part of the state, their church is currently going through this process. They were adopted by a larger church in the greater Nashville area, and they are um, they they still continue to have their name. Uh, as their church body, the, that larger church helped accrue some of the debt and is helping kind of re-give, you know, kind of recast a vision for them and, and trying to help them in regards to reaching their community. And so it, it's really healthy in a lot of ways. But I will say that from what I have heard just on the outside, there is still this I, this idea. And I think this is where, where a lot of mergers are always going to struggle with. And it's trying to to have that identity. Mm. And, and, I, and I do think that there, that is really what I think becomes part of the core issue is anytime one church is losing an element of their identity, in some ways they feel like they're losing themselves as believers. And I think that's just the struggle you're always, not always, but I hate using the speak and declarative phrases, but I just feel like when, when it comes to that idea of losing an element of identity, there, there is that struggle there that I think is one of the bigger bigger barriers for, for most church mergers. Yeah, I would, I would agree totally just given the, the experience that I had and what I've heard from others, you know, just, you know, I mentioned like the, the, the plaques found throughout the facility, like, you know, in memory of so-and-so that sort of thing, you know, rightly or wrongly that, that is very powerful to a lot of people. And and I think we all would say there is a place for for honoring those who went before us and for remembering those who contributed a lot to our church. And so if you find yourself in a place where you're beginning to feel like that's going to be lost, that can be really hard. I mean, there, there's a grieving process there almost. And so to to lose that identity, as Jacob said, and and all that's tied up with that, even in something like the name of your church, you know, I mean, that that carries a lot with it just in terms of your ministry and your, your memories and your legacy in the community and a lot of different things that are tied up with that. So 
it can be really difficult. And, and one thing that we, um, that we toyed around with a little bit was this idea of, yeah, we're, we're going to create one new identity. It's not going to be this church or that church anymore. It's going to be a new church. And along with that in this huge facility that we might all end up in together, we're going to create something like a legacy room where we can kind of tell a little bit of the story of how we came to be the church that we are. And that was something I think was proposed by somebody in, you know, on leadership on the other side. And they thought that might be a way to at least honor some of the work that had been done before. And, and we, we toyed around with that and we weren't quite sure what that would look like or what it would mean when, Hey, we need that room for something else now. But, uh, you know, we never got there, but we, we were trying to be very mindful of that because that was a very significant roadblock for a lot of people. You know, something that's kind of funny, people get attached to buildings, you know, they just do. And, and I, I came from a construction background, so I'm going to be very transparent and honest. I, I feel like buildings for churches are as much of a curse as they are a blessing at times. And, um, you know, people, I think people that I don't think they would vocalize this, but based on how people react and the identity they draw from a place. I mean, I'm going to tell you guys something. There is nothing sacred about a church building. I mean, you know, if you could see those guys, my dad's crew helped lay the brick and block here for Grace Baptist Church. And if you were to get behind the brick wall, you'd see wadded up packets of cigarettes and cigarette butts and cans of soda thrown behind the wall. You know what I mean? Like it, it's just part of the, there's, you know, this ain't Solomon's temple where they took the stones out and hewed them away so that a hammer didn't clang on the job site. You know what I mean? These are, these are meeting houses. They're, they're comparable to toolboxes, right? That's probably a better way to think about church building. And, um, you know, when she made that statement to me about, I just want to be, have my funeral in the building I helped pay for. Well, that gave away her identity, you know, and, and that, that showed that I identify more with this building than I do with the body of Christ or with the great commission or with any of these others, these other concepts uh, that we know healthy churches should identify with. And so, um, you know, and then the other issue is when you have a big building, once you create the beast, you got to feed the beast. You know what I mean? <laughs> it takes electricity and power. It takes, you know, cleaning supplies and it takes, uh, when it breaks, you got to fix it. Otherwise it rots away. So that's the adoption. So the adoption is, you know, the ministries keep running and going and sometimes they may let them keep a banner of that name, but then rebirth is the final one. Rebirth is a, is a struggling or a dying church that gets a second life by being restarted under a stronger, vibrant and typically larger church. In my mind, I guess the distinction I would make between rebirth and adoption is I would imagine rebirth is going to be a complete shutdown of that facility and that church for a time period. A renovation plan goes in place, a reopening of probably, I would say you're talking about them becoming basically a satellite campus of the of the growing church, uh, which this was a popular model in Louisville. I know that uh, we saw this with Highview Baptist Church. I think I mentioned them earlier. This was a, 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 a method that they would use. Uh, what are the strengths of this kind of a merger, you think? The strengths are you have an extremely 
healthy church that has vision, has focus, has outreach. They, they have everything going on. And a church that hopefully, when you use the word that they're about to die, they're, they're declining and, and dying, maybe they are desperate enough to change and go along 100% with that bigger, healthier church. And so that's the dream. So that, 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 that is a strength there, is you have a church that is healthy enough to come in and make a smaller version of its church at that existing church. Yeah, so a church that I actually served at in near the Louisville area, um, I was youth pastor there for, for a good while there during seminary. And um, about two or three years ago, this is essentially what happened, is uh, the church had not gotten to a place where it was about to die, um, but the pastor had retired and the church just felt like they had lacked vision and lacked with real direction in reaching their community. And so a church um, in the Lexington area had reached out to them and essentially had decided to make a campus satellite with them where basically they close, you know, the church um, didn't have a whole lot of, they didn't have any debt. They didn't have, they had a facility. They were, you know, by all stretch, many people would say that's a healthy church or that's the place their church was, but they decided that they were not healthy because they weren't actively reaching their community. And so they, they agreed, they shut down everything. Uh, and became a satellite where they they kept the campus closed for several months, remodeled everything, and relaunched as a as a campus satellite. Um, and so their staff, everything is connected to the the main campus, and and all the the fun the the giving and the funding all goes to the main campus and is divvied out for for ministry. And so everything I've heard from former members, even some members in their late you know seventies and eighties that are still members there. Um, are encouraged because they feel that um, they have been able to do more ministry because of this. And because of the restart, it's been helpful for them to, uh, within the neighborhood, the community, to, it, it's a new church. It's a new name. It's, it's very new. It's very vibrant. And so it's given them a lot more opportunities in the future. I'm, yeah. I'm a big fan of this merger personally, <laughs> um, but I'm going to say this. I think this is one of the harder of the four to pull off. I, I think it's the hardest of the four. And here, here is why. Here's a quote from the book that I you know, referenced a moment ago. The decision to merge usually does not happen until the church leaders conclude that the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. It's just, you know, why do churches drag on the way they do? Because the pain of remaining the same is not greater than the pain of the change. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I, I like what Ed Stetzer says. I can relate to this. You know, I have, I have flat feet. I don't know if I've shared this with you guys or if it matters, but I have flat feet. That, what that means is finding shoes is difficult. You know, most shoes have an arch, and when shoes have an arch, it's painful for me. And when I have to buy a new pair of shoes and I have size 13 shoes, so basically every ugly shoe that's on the shelf racks in my size and it all has arches. And so I get them down there and I find me a pair I like, okay. And if they have arches, I broke the arch down because my foot, my, you know, inside of my foot's about as flat as the outside of my foot. There's just no arch. And it hurts for me to break a new pair of shoes in. It's painful. And I wear, I literally wear my shoes until there are holes in them. And then when I step outside that first day of winter into a cold puddle, 
all of a sudden, <laughs> the change, the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change because I've just frozen my foot off, it feels like. So, you know, a lot of these churches have just not hit that puddle yet, and they're not willing and ready to get to that point. Um, they're in pain, and they'll tell you they're in pain. But, you know, if you'll just send a new preacher, a young preacher, or if you'll send some money, you know, we can make it a bit longer. Uh, that's just like putting duct tape on the bottom of the shoe, you know. We tried this. Yeah. Go ahead, Matthew. We we actually, I know you, you weren't working with the shit, Travis. Right before you came on and started helping out with the association, we had a failed um, rebirth, mm. a merger here in the association. Mainly because, I mean, and they, they were excited to have people coming in preaching. They were excited to have people leading worship. They walked through this whole process of what this meant on the front end. They were, I mean, the, the healthier church was very open and honest, transparent the whole way through. And it got down to the last process before basically they'd find, they'd sign a, the final covenant to where this church would take full responsibility, custody, everything of the existing church. And when it got to that point, that church pulled out. So it, it hurts. And, and that's, you know, getting over, people have to get over this pride of it's my building. It's my whatever. And this is, I honestly think pride is the biggest hurdle in all these scenarios. And I'm going to tell you this too. Like I saw this work. There were two churches that merged in Corden, Indiana, down the road from me. You might know about this, uh, Jacob. I don't know if you know about this Corden Baptist. Did you know about that church? How they came together? (laughs) Yeah, I do remember. uh, I do remember that about their merger. Yeah. Um, But anyway, both those pastors were so committed to the vision that they knew when they actually merged together, there was a good chance one of them couldn't stay on at the church. You know, the church wouldn't be able to afford both pastors if things went well. And so one of them went away and and had to go find another place to serve. There is a, there is an ego trip that church leaders in particular pastors have to get over to make these things work. Like, are you committed enough to say, you know what, I'm willing to give up my livelihood here to get this thing going for the kingdom. Cause somebody may have to make that sacrifice in a church merger. You know, uh, oftentimes they point out here, many churches in these scenarios with adoption and with the other, um, with the marriage one in particular, they may shrink down to the size of the larger church because people will kind of peel off. They said, there's no, there's no case in scenario where any of these mergers happen that the incoming parties don't lose about 20% of their people. So, you know, you, you, you know, a merger sound, it's like Chris said on paper, they sound good, but when you start getting into people's lives and where they are and, you know, there's comfort levels that people sometimes have with sizes of churches and their identities. And when you start stripping those away, people start falling away sometimes. So. Yeah. I think one thing that really works against this movement is the fact that most churches who get to the point of considering a merger got to that point by making really bad decisions. And so like if they had had a better history of fruitful ministry, 
they wouldn't even consider, hey, maybe we should merge up with another church. You know, they, they wait till they're at that point of desperation. And so you're right that it takes a kingdom mindset and a real desire to do, you know, more together to see a merger work well. But the churches that have that mindset and are doing good ministry typically aren't thinking merger because they don't feel that they need it, you know? So it's, it's kind of a, a thing that really sets you off on the wrong path to begin with in a lot of scenarios where it's just, well, this is the last, this is the last option. This is the only, only thing we've got left to try. Let's give it a whirl. And that doesn't set you up for success. Let me read a quote going along with what Chris said here from this book, Better Together. Sadly, most struggling churches would rather hold onto the steering wheel of their sinking ship than turn the helm over to an effective leader who knows how to sail the ship. And all I can say to that is boom, right? That is, that is true. Uh, yeah. And when you're, you know, when you're thinking about, if you're sitting here and you're listening to this today, I hope we've not scared you to death about church mergers because I think that church mergers have a tremendous opportunity to bring, um, to catch people's attention, to show that we can love one another in a way that the world cannot. But I want you to be sober to the reality of, a church merger is going to mean two things. It's going to mean major change and major pain. And you're going to have to manage the change and you're going to have to manage the pain that's involved with that. All right, brothers. Uh, any closing thoughts here before I, before we land the plane on this episode? I, I, sometimes I, I use this phrase. Uh, sometimes there are things in life um, that even though it's hard to do, doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Right. And so I think there are definitely scenarios in certain communities. Yeah. It's going to be very hard for two churches to think through and to pray through and to walk through a process of a merger, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. And it doesn't mean it's not uh, worthy of, of seeing God's kingdom being built in that community for his namesake and glory. Yeah, because every time I have seen one work, it's a beautiful thing. I think of Canaan Baptist Church in St. Louis, Missouri. They were they were actually an ICU merger that worked. They're one of the probably, I think only 5% of those cases work, and Canaan made it, and they're doing great. Um, Cordon Baptist Church in Cordon, Indiana. They were probably more like a marriage, a marriage merger. They made it. They're doing great. And, and you can give examples there of how it can affect the community. You know, when we were stepping forward to do what we tried to do, you know, the, our name in the community was mud at the time. And there was just no way to get, I remember as a pastor going door to door and telling people I'm from such and such church and they'd slam the door in my face just because I said, I'm from such and such church. So, um, so anyway, all right. Well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, any other closing thoughts? None. Chris, thanks for being with us and sharing your story. It's helpful. Uh, tune in again next time and uh, look forward to uh, joining you then. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page 
at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.